the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! Welcome back everyone, it's so great to hear everyone's voices How are y'all doing this week? I know that we have sort of one person less than we're used to, but, um, yeah. We miss you, Brad. Miss, yeah, miss you, Brad. Brad is, uh, in, in repose in his quarters, and I am occasionally bringing him onion broth and, uh, tending to him in his moment of illness. I am recording everything that he says for fear that it may be his dying words. He's going to be fine. I'm just... I just, okay, I just good. like to harp on it. There. No, he, he just, he's. I love a, I love a graceful Victorian illness. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, while, uh, while Brad is down with the grip, he's already actually recovered from the dripping. Um, so this is just something unrelated. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, we're the dripping too. We're hanging on to every sort of moment that the we get with him. Too. The dripping. Oh, the dripping. Please, God, I've been. Okay, everyone. Introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Parker Renevere, and after our last discussion, I went down an internet rabbit hole about recreational ant morphing because some people are messed up <laughs> and make questionable oh life God. choices. I usually hear pronouns. Um, sorry, one second. <coughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hi, I'm Cassandra. I use she/her pronouns. I'm allergic to my parents' house, and I just broke my toe. Wow, that's okay, y'all. These are both really deeply unfortunate. They're all a lot of ailments that are ailing all of us in this ailing time. Um, alien. Uh, my name is Erso Ren, and I only got to chapter 16 this week because I'm stupid. So, uh, <laughs> so you know how I always make fun of you guys when you didn't do the homework? Yeah. I didn't do the homework. I'm the only Wait, one who what? did the reading. I didn't read it. Sorry, I was really busy. No, I mean, I mean, I years ago. This is so unlike you, Cassandra. I mean, I, know, I, I read sorry, it years ago. Busy. You know what's weird though? I actually had to go and get the um, the online version that the professor provided for us because I didn't have the paper copy. You didn't have a paper copy, Volume Six? Oh man, it's hmm. too bad. Uh, today we're um, yeah. It's this is this is about volume six of the Animorphs journals known as the capture um just in case that was unclear we're doing yes number six at this point um well shoot uh if uh if i'm the only one who did the reading does that mean that i'm the uh the person who does all the summaries and stuff i think so okay i don't actually have i mean i can literally like scroll through it as we're talking i did most of Um, it so i'll i'll be there with with you most of the time okay well shall we get down to business and defeat the huns there's another archaic reference are you just referencing the historical group the puns the warring i like is that it's like a historical joke or something it's it's a classic film joke a classic film joke what yeah all of all of us weird history students are just like all really deep into our individual niches and we're just trying to have to come around and sort of like huddle around this this narrative to see if we can sort of stone soup a uh a recording of uh all of our own disparate references from all of the weird history things that we know about and we're gonna make a beautiful melange while we're talking about the, wow. uh, these uh these these good good journals that's so sweet what, just be a weird yeah soup would be good i actually have soup on the stove for brad i should <laughs> probably i think cassandra said what stone soup and you were oh, just what like... stone soup oh <laughs> mm, uh, soup. it's it's soup where everybody brings an ingredient or two. Oh, that seems inefficient uh, it is i mean obviously we have much more efficient ways of doing soup nowadays but um it's about community it's, it's about coming together and speaking of community let's experience this together where do we start off who is narrating this journal uh jake i did look at the first page Great, excellent. Um, so we find ourselves at the beginning here from Jake's perspective. Uh, we're at his breakfast table on Saturday morning, and we are once again confronted with the disastrous sort of situation that he finds himself in, where the, in that his brother's a controller. I, I think Jake has some awareness that 
his brother is becoming a high-ranking controller through the front organization that the Yerks have set up to gather more people to be controllers, but I don't think he fully, at this point in Chapter 1, recognizes the degree to which his brother is an important controller, but that thing that is driving him to save the world, which is his brother's safety, is uh, how we introduce this thing. Yeah, and that's pretty <laughs> scary. I mean, I think we can all relate to feeling, like, separated from a sibling of ours or a family member, and to be actually legitimately separated from them in a way that only you know about is like terrifying and I just really feel I can relate to the like things that Jake does in this journal in general he Hmm. he has to be so tactical about something that before you know he he just thought of his brother as his brother and now he has to like avoid like talking to him in certain ways and it just feels very scary the sort of idyllic life that could be born of like a Saturday morning breakfast and and later like a a fun dinner with his parents is interrupted by this thing finally coming all the way home in a completely tangible way because Tom like corners Jake in the hallway upstairs and he's like he's like you know the sharing today was like really great you should really consider joining why wouldn't you want to be a part of this like awesome organization that's a couple chapters in yeah which, like, we can talk about it now. It's cool. Yeah, just while we were on the, the subject of Tom, it's like, yeah, you know, that, that pressure is, like, really scary. It's chapter five that he gets trapped by him, that Tom sort of boxes him into a corner and is like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, don't dump on what you don't understand. What were you doing that was so important today while I was out cleaning up the park? There's a lot of, like, we, we see a lot of the sort of, like, cult mentality or, like, mm. the sort of, like, I don't know, it reminds me of, like, almost multi-level marketing campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> Your loss, he said, there are things that are cooler than hanging out with Marco, cooler than being on some bogus team, important things. You could be a part of something bigger. You could be part of something great, not just another nothing kid. A little bit of the Yerk arrogance comes through at that, that chapter a little bit later. So Absolutely. And I think this is like a really perfect example of us seeing an example of something that, from my perspective, feels really historically accurate, where... Older members of a group target younger members to Mm -hmm. join, especially if they have some kind of familial connection with radical groups that are, you know, designed to exist in broad daylight, but hidden. And this is how people are inducted into fascism. They're made to feel like they belong or a family member, you know, like coerces them into being a part of this. And this just feels like a perfect example. Not that the Yurk Empire of the sharing is like, perfect analogy for fascism but like i don't know the the methods of inducting new members feels really similar here and that's so scary when you don't feel like you know your brother yeah it's kind of like the wheel or the wedge or the anvil it's a design that was perfected over thousands and thousands of years of development and just hasn't changed since then yeah, I'm going to be right back. i got to check my pasta. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> We're all kind of just running all over the place today. All right. And then Jake decides to attempt a morph that he's never done before, which he attempts to morph into a cockroach. Yeah. What a weird decision. I feel like morphing is like drugs where you should have someone <laughs> else there and sober for the first time that you're doing it. Uh, according to the recreational ant morphing rabbit hole I went God. down the other night, uh, that is not the only way in which some people experience morphing to be like drugs, but hopefully it is the only way that morphing is like drugs for these these are savior teens. Jake like continually refers to the ant experience like it felt like he was dying or he died with that loss of like his sense of self, which is <laughs> horrifying. I I was a bag of loose guts. Me too, man. <laughs> Yeah, he described his skull dissolving, and I was like, wow, that's bad. (laughs) That just feels like a migraine. Migraine, yes, indeed. I've definitely had migraines where it felt like my skull was dissolving. (laughs) Or vibrating. Mm. So why does Jake morph a cockroach of all animals on Earth? Well, he he wants to pitch a plan to the rest of the Animorphs. He's preemptively morphing the cockroach in a... Situation that I would agree Cassandra is kind of dangerous in that he doesn't have anybody supervising or like watching or like anybody to thought speak with. He's testing it out because he wants to make sure that the and experience doesn't happen again and that they're not caught off guard by the 
radically different existential experience of being a particular animal. So he tests it out for himself, but he wants to attempt a stealth mission. I think it's kind of ironic that Jake takes the form of a stereotypically rugged animal and then almost dies two or three times to like really common deterrence in this journal. Just like things that humans have been like, oh yeah, but we have solutions for these gross, disgusting animals. And then Jake is like, oh no, my resiliency. <laughs> I mean... I like your Jake voice, Parker. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, geez. I mean, our only saving grace is that he doesn't get stepped on part way at any point during this and like have to morph back in a partially... I don't know. Uh, I don't want to talk about that too much. It's a little gross. Yeah, but... <laughs> we had to think about this with the ants. I don't want to think about it anymore. It was so nasty. Yeah, I really don't know why they they have to morph so many insects at this point in time. <laughs> I really don't understand why Jake morphs into a roach when he knows there are roach hotels in his home. Well, he might not. It was behind the refrigerator. And like, how how much do you really know what goes on back there? I mean, I'm like to, <laughs> I like to observe. I mean, you don't just keep one behind the fridge, right? You have them all in different places. Yeah, we've got mouse traps all over the right, place. Right, like here. if I saw those, I don't you know. know. With with little signs up that are like, "This is a mouse trap. If you are not a real mouse, please don't come this way." <laughs> It is, uh, it, it's convenient that the ability to read is preserved in morphed things, yeah. so it's like, oh yeah, we can just we can just walk right on by that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so he gets trapped in a roach hotel, and then immediately in the next section, uh, everything is fine. He sort of relays the experience of partially morphing back into himself such that he's not fully a cockroach anymore, and gets caught by one of his parents, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, partially in a roach morph, although she doesn't notice it because... He's behind the refrigerator. Yeah, all she could see was my head. It was normal, fortunately. And what she asked me was, Jake, why are you back there? And while we're at it, why do you have the top of a roach motel stuck in your hair? Like, huh, operational security, everything could have just been blown to smithereens there. Like, that could have been the end of the Animorphs very easily. Yeah, I feel like they've almost encountered absolute calamity, like, multiple times in the past few journals. Yeah. Oof. Wait, sorry, is Parker, is what you're saying literally in the journal or are you extrapolating? That is very much literally in the journal, that quote that I just said. Where is it? That is the exact I don't see dialogue. It I'm looking at page 11 out of 63 on chapter 4, the end of chapter 4. The end of chapter 4. I, yeah, I don't see that at all. You might have a wrong version. There's a lot where portions were like copyrighted or like redacted it was like really weird um, i might have a different version oh yes okay okay yes i see it now sorry there's also a lot of different editions that have different like editor's notes and stuff like that different yeah, historical I, notes. I just have the version straight from the class site yeah that's the one i'm using as well i don't know it's a wild world out there in the world of uh independent historical publications uh, sure <laughs> anyway jake makes it clear to the others that his brother is getting in touch with a bunch of doctors who are all working at a single hospital that he believes is maybe housing a yerk pool uh, and that the invasion is using to create new controllers, a suspicion that turns out to be correct. Yeah, this feels like some pretty advanced like detective work for him to be doing, but I guess it's easier to investigate someone who you already know in part. It's just that he's taking tremendous risks in the place that a young teen should be able to feel the most safe, which is their own house. Hmm. Yeah, <sighs> that's true. I mean, think about what that's got to do to you psychologically, where you're supposed to be safe at home. And even if school sucks because you're getting bullied or, you know, you're not in a ton of extra school activities or you don't have a lot of friends, you're still at least supposed to be safe at home. And obviously there are many kids in many situations who are not safe at home and can't feel safe at home. And that just does horrible things to your psychology. And I feel like on top of that, it's not just, you know, something of maybe being abused at home or something. Well, because that's not what's happening, but it is mm. not only does he not feel safe at home, he also has like no other situation to really compare this to because this is an unprecedented first contact situation. Yeah, absolutely. And who can he talk to about it, really? Like Cassie? Yeah. Marco? Yeah. Which is why I kind of look at volume six as a parable on the value of found family. Mm, interesting. Uh, in his most vulnerable moment, he is protected by this group of people who he has come to trust with his life and with the lives of potentially every human and other non-human entity on the planet, <laughs> and they follow through for him. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. 
he gets everyone oh uh, everyone gets together in marco's new apartment which marco's living in new digs because his dad has gone back to work mm-hmm. yeah they practice the roach morph axe is really confused by the fact that the human animorphs are really grossed out by morphing which is so <laughs> like <laughs> every once in a while axe says something that reminds me that at the, during the time of these events he was like a child by andalite standards like everybody mm, here yeah. is like way below the sort of age of maturity in our disparate cultures he's baby it's just a baby you have such wonderful animals on this planet axe said <laughs> which i mean granted cockroaches are wonderful and i love them hey big question why don't they just morph standing back to back I think about this all of the time. Like, I think that they have some kind of, like, trauma that requires them to, like, they can't look away, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like you are probably the most vulnerable you can be mid-morph because you don't really have a lot of control over your body in terms of, yeah. like, you're not 100% sure how to move, like, all of the new limbs that you're sprouting or that are being absorbed back into your body. But just turn around. <laughs> You could just, I don't, if you well, but maybe maybe you need someone to maybe they kind of want to all keep watch on each other in case like something goes wrong, like they almost get stuck or whatever. Because there have been times where they almost got stuck, and like one of the kids who had demorphed better or faster or who hadn't morphed in the first place has to like talk them through it. Yeah, that's... maybe it is the difference in the rates that makes that not really workable. Is that they yeah, all yeah, like because Cassie morphed right. quickly, Tobias doesn't morph at all. Mm-hmm. Right, they have to buy us an axe to keep watch if they just stand back. I don't know. They keep doing this where they're morphing in front of each other and I being know. so, and like writing about how grossed out they are. And maybe it's just the novelty of the whole thing for them. I don't know if, if this is something that persists through the rest of the journals. I think so. You could just stand back to back and save yourselves a lot of... Well, as we see later, that's not exactly a possibility because kind of the key morph in this particular journal is the fly. Mm. And flies can see Oh, now I know which journal this is. Yeah, <laughs> they see all the way oh, around. Them, so. Oh, <clears throat> I remember this from when I was a kid. That is a good point. Flies can see directly behind them, so that that kind of that doesn't necessarily prevent that. Not that I don't think that actually comes. Everyone up, can but... see directly behind them if you have a mirror. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying, flies aren't special. I've got a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, what happens next? They morph into their cockroach forms they travel to the headquarters of the sharing the way i'm reading this it's like a strip mall right i assume so yeah they go to the the headquarters of the sharing and sort of morph in a weird abandoned basement mood sorry what i said mood mood. (laughs) weird abandoned basements are a mood We've got one here. We store alcoholic drinks in it. Rachel has a, a constant commentary in this journal of like good quips to keep things light, I think. <laughs> and, and she probably like planned them out ahead of time, you know, workshopped them, wrote, wrote down notes. Okay, when someone says something like this, I need to say this joke. Right, to keep up the sort of like valley girl, prissy, done up. But also of. tough. Yeah, but also tough. Yeah. You know, she has to be tough. I don't so think I don't think Rachel really plays dumb very much like she's very smart it's it's explored in the text that she is very smart oh she is smart but i feel like marco does a lot to sort of maintain his own kind of old sort of like personality before things go haywire and i wonder if rachel tries to do something similar to keep things light for herself and her friends yeah. I'm noticing that Tobias is also makes a couple more intentional jokes in this journal. Yeah, Jake notices something pretty, you know, significant for, for Tobias's personal development. He notices at this point, I think actually specifically, that Tobias seems a little bit more comfortable with his half-human, half-hawk existence. You know, you guys still give me the willies, Tobias said. You should see yourselves. The urge to step on you is pretty strong, if, if I had shoes. I never did like roaches. This is from a guy who disembowels live mice for lunch, Marco says. Don't knock it if you haven't tried it to buy a shot back. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's, they're, they're working together. They're, cute, yeah. they're figuring <laughs> out how to rely on each other to keep each other's spirits up a little bit more. They're growing more cohesive as a group. Yeah, and they all make so many jokes. Like, right afterwards, Marco is joking about crawling inside an open box of cereal. I almost had that happen once. I almost ate the bug. Yuck. I've had the same thing happen, but with earwigs and a <sighs> juice pouch. I hate that Yeah, so I hate much. that for you. Yeah, it was really bad. I was in kindergarten. I hated <sighs> it for me as well. <laughs> 
That that crunching oh, sensation no, will never you. leave my brain. Wow, moving on. So anyway, they infiltrate the uh, <laughs> the headquarters of the sharing. They hear somebody say something incredibly melodramatic. It's time to strike the decisive blow <laughs> of the invasion of Earth. And this felt like someone didn't remember what had actually been said, and they just made something yeah. up. I think that might be the case. I completely agree with you, Arisa. It, it sounds like whoever was ghostwriting this, or if it was actually Jake, was just like, oh crap, what did they say? What did they say? Yeah. It was something it was that Something kind of evil. Menacing. I think I don't remember. <laughs> this was like three years ago. What was it? Oh, I just have to come up with something really right. cool. Right. Okay, but honestly, if you were a part of a really cool invasion of Earth where you get like a host body <laughs> and all this stuff, wouldn't you kind of want to <laughs> lean into it a little bit? Hey, a little That's bit. true. Le- le- lean into the anime villain vibes. Yeah. <laughs> Visor 3 certainly does. That is for sure. One thing that I think is interesting, the Animorphs have a moment of reckoning where they're like, oh, Visor 3 can morph a human. And then everyone's like, of course he can morph a human, but they don't know which human he can morph yet. Yeah. He could morph any human he had touched. As an Andalite, specifically. Tobias would know which human he is, though. Well, Tobias can't see because they're inside at this point. But Tobias sees Visser 3 getting out of the limo. Oh, yeah, that's true. Ah, uh, that's true. It, yeah, judging by what Tobias knows, it's not anyone that they recognize thus far. Or likely a sort of DNA amalgam of a bunch of different humans. Yeah, because I mean, the thing is, as far as I know, you can acquire the DNA of a human who is being controlled by a Yerk because they are still biologically a human sure. with human DNA. So he's got no shortage of like people that he could walk up to as an Andalite and acquire because... They have Yerks in their brains. They are aware that Andalites exist, so. Right, that's a good point, yeah. So he's got as many human controllers as there are around him. He's got a total, like, full supply of people to gather DNA from. He's got the ultimate genetic disguise kit. Yeah, he blends in perfectly. Spooky. Yeah. Pretty scary, for sure. And that's why morphing is controlled by the government, for better or for worse. My question with regards to the minutia of how morphing works here is, what happens to the actual Yurk body itself when Mr. 3 morphs into a different creature? Like, when he's... Goop. He's... Does he... Gooey. Is he... (laughs) But is he in Z-space or no? Slime. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> i don't i want to know what happens to the yerk well because yerks they talk about it yerks can sort of liquefy much like cats um well, <laughs> except even more so and what? fill the container that they are within yeah i know that you know people joke about like cats liquefying and filling the container mm-hmm. so yerks can do that with i thought you were going to drop some knowledge on me about cats that i was not prepared for <laughs> Right. No, no I, it's just an internet joke. I know that, but... but so presumably, presumably that also means. I mean, it's not like I've ever talked to a Yerk who has been inside of someone's brain while that person morphed. So this is just extrapolating from what I do know. Uh-huh. But I would assume that they can continue to be gooey, and they're probably still in physical in space. The brain, yeah, physically in the brain area of the being they have constructed through morphing. I'm doing some really weird gestures right now while I'm trying to explain <laughs> this to myself. It's a difficult thing to try to ex- explain because they talk about the matter from the original body, like everything from Visor 3's Andalite host body is currently in Z-space when he's morphing another creature. Does his Yerk body also go into Z-space? I guess the, the, the answer to this question would be I would have to check with one of my veterinary medicine friends would be also tied up in the sort of question of, you know, morphing could cure most maladies that are present within the body of really any organism, but can morphing expel parasites? That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think it depends on whether or not you think of the... Because okay, so I, I would say that maybe morphing with a yerk in one's brain is a lot like morphing and trying to keep your clothes on. Yeah, where, exactly. Like, since, and, and the yerk is the one thinking about morphing. Mm-hmm. So the yerk is the one doing the brain things and is like, yes, I'm going to morph and stay in the brain and also keep my leotard on. But most yerks don't have practice doing that. I mean, Visser 3 is the only yerk who has a body that's capable of morphing at the start of this whole thing. Well, I think at least with Visser 3 specifically, if the body that... I think Visser 3 has the memories of the Andalite, whose name I can never remember, and probably knows from... Thank you, Aloran, and knows how to morph from that, maybe? 
because he can see how Aloran well, did it. Yes, but then that raises questions about what occurs later in this narrative, which maybe we should keep going. <laughs> yes, let's keep yeah. going. I think that fulfills our, our you know, our requirement for our conspiracy theory corner. So let's <laughs> let's go on into I think another. That's just corner. more like I gotta take some more science classes. Isn't that what conspiracy theories are? I, I'm not going to get into that right now. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Mr. 3 unveils to the Animorphs and the unsuspecting sharing population that specifically, in addition to, you know, this hospital being used as a as a sort of recruiting ground for controllers, they're going to schedule the governor of this state of the union, presumably the governor of California. They're going to get that guy in for minor surgery, yep. and then they're going to turn him into a controller. Rachel remembers that this governor is running for president next year, which would allow us to place this more specifically in a specific year in the 90s. But I'm... I love the line here of, I don't remember who says it, but someone says, don't you pay attention to politics? Like That would be Rachel, yeah. <laughs> kids oh my god <laughs> they're a little busy yeah exactly they are attempting to get a controller in the white house axe is like a white house what does all of this mean sorry i just need to take a moment to fully process that sentence god can you imagine if they had succeeded Oh yeah, I mean, that's really scary. It's scary for them. They don't even know what they would do. It's interesting because I think it's specifically phrased as like, imagine a controller having the host body of the most powerful man in the country, in the most powerful country on the planet, which is like, I really, I think really speaks to sort of the cultural narratives about America at the time. Because mm. we know that they're in America, obviously. Oh yeah, no, they're in, they're in the UK. Right, like... <laughs> <laughs> On one, on the one hand, it might not have actually been sort of doomsday if this had happened, but at least from their perspective, it would be. And I imagine that, you know, given what we've seen from political corruption of the presidency in the early 2000s, like the first few uh, decades, mm -hmm. especially, um, we can see that like that power is used pretty wickedly to do a lot of a lot of a lot of horrible things. And imagine if like. <laughs> Imagine if the Yerks had been sort of a part of this and it had been mandated to be a part of the sharing or if that had been incorporated into the government. So I, I thought this line was really was really interesting. I feel like I want to do more research into like sort of what could have happened. It makes the stakes less cosmic and apocalyptic and more tangible to these Californian teenagers. It brings it yeah. into a degree of like earth culture that I think is maybe closer to home for them. Yeah, because I think it feels very abstract to be like, oh, aliens are going to take over the whole planet. Like, that's a whole planet. And we're only seeing these aliens in one small area of Southern California. Whereas if it's like the government of California, whose name I may know, or at least it may sound vaguely familiar to me, who my parents may have voted for or against, whose name I've probably seen on lawn signs, who has probably signed legislation that has affected my life, the governor of California is going to have an alien slug in his brain, and then he might become the president. And I also know what the president does, and the president does a lot of important stuff, and the president doing a lot of important stuff could have an alien slug in his brain. Also, um, just in case, can you hear my parents in the background? We do not. No, I can't. I can't. Okay, well, they stopped talking, but... I want to hear your parents. parents. I only met your mom once. Which one, which one of my moms? The the Tweety one with like the glasses and the gray hair, I think. That describes all of my parents. <laughs> Let's move on, why don't we? <laughs> yeah, good idea. Anyway. The Animorphs are discovered in their insect bodies. Multiple people fail to kill multiple roaches, but then somebody coats Jake in bug spray. We love a neurotoxin moment. Oh man, his whole roach body starts to get poisoned. All the heck. Tobias picks him up, brings him to a nearby rooftop. He morphs before he dies of neurotoxin. Saved by Tobias. Anyways, moving on. So they escape and reconvene with this wild information. Jake is also glad that considering they heard gunshots when they were inside the room oh! of cockroaches, which I can't imagine what that experience is yeah. like based on your in, like entire sense of like hearing and like the way that you orient yourself being based on like vibrations having a gunshot go off in a small room three gunshots no less yeah uh viscer 3 just murders somebody for like 
not really no reason, but close to no reason. This feels so unreal. Like, the fact that he's just like, someone kill this fool, and then the person is is murdered which really raises the stakes because at the end of at the end of chapter 10 we get the sort of catch-22 the i don't know if i'm using that correctly but the conundrum that jake finds himself in is laid bare which is that if the animorphs succeed with their plan and scuttle tom's yurk's plan for control of the hospital then tom's life is in immediate danger from viscer three but if if they Mm -hmm. allow tom's plan to go through to reduce danger to tom they potentially get a controller in the white house yeah i think that is the correct usage of catch 22 cool all right yeah it's a very 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 intense and dangerous situation for them and uh it comes up a couple of times because jake is uncertain about whether or not he's able to commit to the plan to take down the hospital because it yeah again it puts his brother in immediate risk but things complicate a little bit more chapter 11 they're at school they go over some plans marco pulls an amazing bit of identity theft (laughs) Uh, well not really identity theft but like go marco a little bit of like what would you call this corporate espionage scamming lying on the phone oh people. fishing oh fishing yes fishing with the ph he's phone, fi- he's yes. phone fishing yes. marcus just like yeah i just told him i was a journalist i'm like these were simpler times <laughs> truly the 1990s a time when you could say who you were on the phone and people would believe you. i know really what, what kind of voice do you think marco did to like pretend to be oh my god like a... <laughs> Oh, that's right. a good one. That's like, a good question. Okay, what do you think Marco's voice sounds like? Like, how... How... <laughs> I mean, this is probably influenced by my, like, 11-year-old self who had a crush on him, but I definitely, as a kid, always assumed he had a nice voice. Mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Tom Breaking News of the San Francisco <laughs> Times, and I'm just wondering... <laughs> That's no, no, no. That's I think, I think exactly. probably, I think probably the opposite direction. He would go, um, <clears throat> "Hi, I'm um, <clears throat> Ben <laughs> Parker from the <clears throat> Sacramento Bee." Oh my god! <laughs> Hi, I'm Reginald McSunday Funnies. <laughs> oh my god! Reginald McSunday Funnies is my drag name. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yes. Excellent. Yes. I'm stealing that now. If I ever get into drag, that's my name. Release to Cassandra and Cassandra alone. Um, <laughs> Reginald McSunday Funnies, get ready. <laughs> uh, anyway, Marco is way smoother and suaver and e- better at lying on the phone than any of us are. I've definitely lied on the phone. I, I have not done a lot of lying on the phone. Anyway, so they they go shopping. There's a shopping sequence. Reginald oh, uh, Funnies. <laughs> Shut up. Oh my god. <laughs> Take that and run with it. Run with it. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, yes. Uh what Jake is Jake does a lot of just sort of like teen life, teen living, living as a teen. Just being being alive and just doing teen stuff. Yeah, we see, there, there's a whole scene of him playing basketball as well. Yeah, being in chapter 11 is just playing basketball and being a normal teen <laughs> who's got a potentially apocalyptic world-ending secret, but he's just playing basketball like a teen in this one, uh, and then he goes shopping this whole, at the beginning like a teen. I really appreciated this because it feels really like relatable. They have to sort of continue to like be teenagers in this extremely weird point in their lives but also like the fate of the world they just have to be like okay i'm gonna like go buy a gift for my mom and it can't be like a spider-man comic it has to be something cute and rachel like finds something that's half off or whatever and like i love rachel's sale math because unfortunately this is exactly how i think when i'm going shopping (laughs) like oh well really i saved so much money jake has a line that says wait a minute how do i save if i spent and i'm just like keep coming down the rabbit hole my guy it only gets crankier and more communist from here Comrade Jake. Oh my god. No, he's so close. He's so close to figuring it out that capitalism is just a a scourge upon the world. I truly, no joke, whenever I need to talk myself out of buying something, literally just remember this scene from this journal. (laughs) And I'm like, remember what Jake said. Even if this is on an incredible sale, you're still technically losing money and you're not like getting the money that you saved, like magically given back to you. 
you're still spending money. Don't do it. And sometimes Jake spends even more money than he was planning to. Yeah. yeah. Spends, you know, it's a great deal, so it's fine. He spends seventeen dollars and twelve cents when he went in with the goal of spending only fifteen dollars. <laughs> I, I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but remember inflation. Yeah. He's... But Rachel's trying to be like, this was a victory you won. <laughs> I'd have to agree oh, with Rachel. I love her. Yeah. I, you know, maybe this is like rose-colored glasses at this point, you know, since this was so long ago. But I feel like capitalism makes a really great set dressing for, like, this story. Yeah, absolutely. The background with, like, the mall being, like, right over, you know, a big portion of the Yerk pool and... The place that parasitism occupies in this narrative. It's like, ooh, that's... The true parasite is capitalism, yeah, not the Yerks. that's interesting. I'm just saying, maybe the true parasite was the capitalism we fought along the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was that Starbucks they ran into. That was the real threat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Starbucks would be a great front for Yerks. Oh, okay, go ooh. on, go on. Because oh. I, I do want to get into the part where they have the Happy Meal of Extra Happy, but I don't want to get, like, ahead of myself. Again, Chapter 11 and Chapter 12, like, Jake is doing relatively normal teen things, but it's where that found family comes in again. Because in Chapter 11, he's playing basketball and uh, using thunk as an onomatopoeia <laughs> for the sound of a basketball hitting something, which is an extremely questionable choice. But that's really not what make... I'm here to talk about. Sorry, I'm getting a phone call. It's probably spam because it's from California and I don't live there anymore. But one second. All right. <laughs> Thonk. Thonk. Yeah, just a questionable onomatopoeia. But uh, it's a found family thing again because in chapter 11, he's interacting with people who, who don't know these things. And he has to put on appearances. He has to put on appearances in front of Juan and Terry. And like, that's an additional stressor on him. He's not actually relaxing, even though he's doing something that is like really important to him or at least was really important to him before this whole thing went down Evil like boy. this is something he loves Evil boy. and then in comparison in chapter 12 he's doing something that is not his idea of like a fun thing to do it's like it's he's a little out of his element but he's with people he trusts who know the pain that he's going through and who he could be comfortable with. I don't know. It, I just wanted to highlight that juxtaposition before mm -hmm. we move Yeah, absolutely. I just really love Jake and Cassie's banter at the end of chapter 12, because I'm, I'm reading through this as we talk so that I kind of know what we're talking about, mm -hmm. where they're both just going, help me! Help me! <laughs> each other! It was adorable. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> they, like, look at each other at the same time, and then just, they're both like, <laughs> they, they do it simultaneously. <laughs> Chapter 13, they turn into flies, enjoy being aerial aces for a little while. <laughs> Cassie's like, woo, dog fighting! Specifically from Cassie, I would like to quote, yeehaw! <laughs> she does do that, that's very good. She's Cassie so great. Cassie went full yeehaw agenda. <laughs> she's, I think she's great in this journal, the way that she stands up to Jake for his stupid decision. It's great because you normally think of Cassie as like the level-headed one, and then she's going like full yeehaw! <laughs> exactly. She's <laughs> mewing. Great, so they, they successfully morph flies, but to what end? <laughs> they head over to the hospital. On the way there, there's an adorable little exchange, a good little bit. Tobias says, Marco, in light this bright, I could tell you if there was a single strand of spiderweb across that window, let alone a screen. <laughs> he said spiderweb, Rachel groaned. Help me! Marco mimicked. By absolutely terrible luck, the old version of the fly had been on TV the night before. Like fools, we'd oh, all watch it. <laughs> I don't really understand what this means, Axe Grumbled. <laughs> Axe Grumbling is like my favorite. I just love imagining that because he's so he's so good natured most of the time. And then him just being like, I feel like he does a lot of screaming and also like just disgruntled. I, I really relate to Axe sometimes when he's just like, wow, I don't understand anything that's going on. And then he's he the token though. friend who doesn't get the reference. It's very I, good. Yeah, okay. I, I, I revise any previous assessments I've made as to which Animorph I am, and if it's the friend who doesn't get the reference, is Axe's defining character trait, then I am definitely Axe. Awesome. <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> Otherwise, I think I'm Marco. I think you're Marco, too. I think I'm a mixture. Thank I think you. I'm a weird mixture of Axe and Rachel. I can see that. I don't know where to place myself on this axis. I will think Kathy. about it later. I, I think you're a Cassie. I mean, I could I could get that. Oh, that, that makes sense. sense. Yeah. They get into the hospital. They, they keep yeehawing. <laughs> yeehawing. <laughs> yeehawing all the way. They get into the hospital. Are they going to take their horse to the Old Town Road? Wait, that's the wrong era. Is that the... 
Is that Old Town Road song <laughs> from when these journals were written? I don't know, but I love that song. What a no, it's not. That's <laughs> a couple decades old, later. Old Town Road. That's decades down. later. Oh, it's decades later. Yes. Oh lord. Uh, what year okay. did that song come out? I always thought it was just sort of. It's from the. I thought. Are you sure it's not from the nineties, Parker? I'm positive it's not from the nineties. Okay. Okay. Um. We have another moment. We have another beautiful Axe moment. And this is a good book for Axe. They zip into the room where they've located what they later realize is a yerk pool. (laughs) Uh, Axe demorphs and in their fly senses, they're like, something has just happened. Like they hear a loud thump. Axe, are you okay? (laughs) Yes, there was a human here. But he is unconscious now. It's like, oh, thanks, Axe. Thanks for taking care of my problem for us. Let's talk about head trauma and, and Andalite tail blades. Yeah, for oh real. Oh my god, this is what we were talking about last time with Marco's whole, like, it's just like in superhero comics thing. Axe head trauma kills people. I know. You can't do that. He just, that kills people. He, quote, thwaps people on the side of the head quite a bit. And I'm just He's like, unconscious. that is not going to be temporary. <laughs> just hit him with the blunt side of that tail. Anyway, they discover a yerk pool in the whirlpool in the in the jacuzzi that they use for therapy this might be the scariest part in the whole journal actually for me the discovery or this whole chapter this whole chapter what jake does is so it's so wrong the idea of what war can do to people is so horrifying and this just feels like his intention is to kill all of these yurks who are helpless it just feels really really i don't know it's something about this like do you not sympathize with his situation I mean, I do sympathize, but... I don't. I can also see an argument for not, and I, I just, like, what he... Like, I understand everything with Tom, but, like, war crimes are, like, a real thing that apparently even children can commit, and he wants to straight-up murder all of these yurks. I, it just feels... Like, I don't know. Living in the society that we do now, it's really hard to take this within the context of war, and what he does in this situation is just so incredibly scary he just really doesn't see yerks as people and there were so many yerks that were like pacifists or what's the word i'm looking for when you don't accept being drafted for like political or religious conscientious objectors conscientious objectors Mm. thank you there are conscientious objectors there are pacifists there are yerks who are there against their will maybe not in this specific pool but in like other yerk pools and the yerk population is just as varied as any other species' population. Yeah, we really don't see that yet. At this point we have we were joking about how much they there's that line about like, oh, this will strike a blow to the invasion of Earth and like how ridiculous that is. But I mean, sort of building off of what we were talking about last time we were gathered, like with Marco viewing everything as a comic book, maybe Jake views everything as sort of a there's two sides to this war and that's it. It's like kind of black and white at this point. I can actually really fully get behind what Jake is doing here. Jake is coming at this from the perspective of someone whose home planet is being colonized. And as far as he is aware, part of that colonization includes the destruction of just about all biodiversity on his planet. Hmm. I think everything he does here is justified. No. Personally. That's a really... That's just I my, mean, yeah, that's a... That's, a, that's my take on it. I, I value that perspective. I hadn't really thought of it that way, I would do I the same thing if I were in that situation, I think. The, but the it, fact, it's just Andalite propaganda. I, 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 the planet that hmm. I live on is really important to me, and I, I don't want it to be terraformed for another species' use. Yeah. But I mean, humans have messed up planet Earth so much. Would you kill several hundred humans who... Okay, well, no, now I do feel a little bit bad about that comparison because there definitely are some humans who I wouldn't kill, but I wouldn't mind them dying, who, like, historically did bad things to the environment. But still, would you personally, with your own hands, kill, like, 300 humans who had been polluting? Uh, when you put it like that, I, I, I feel like I might, like, like people, I feel like people who pollute the planet know exactly what they're doing. And in this situation, I don't know, you can't account for how all these yurks feel. I just, yeah, there's no good solution here, right? (laughs) To a degree, they are a self-selecting population because when you're wealthy to a certain point, most people, once they hit like a certain point of wealth, start thinking about going up to the Mars colonies, Mm. you know? Yeah. 
they're not sticking around on the planet anymore. Maybe their operations are still going. Maybe they've automated them to the degree that they don't need to be there. And in that case, yeah, that those all need to be taken down. But I mean, you could usually do that without, you know, directly you know, killing people. But like, yeah, the human elements that are most destructive to the biodiversity of the place that we live usually self-select to leave this area. You know, imagine that it's, you know, maybe not 100 years ago, but about that long ago, you've got a group of 300 people. And you know that some number of them are like the worst of the worst when it comes to pollution and logging and all of that. Some of them are fine with going along with it. And some of them are completely innocent and maybe even are like environmental activists. But you have to kill either all of them or none of them. Would you do that? Are they all bound together in a compact of conquest and uh well but some of these yerks may well not have been they may have just been dragged along there's no way i can know that i don't i don't know i I feel like jake is not culpable here i think he is also he gets shot in the head oh well uh can we acknowledge that this kid has been shot in the head wait what i did not get to this point in the journal some hospital security guards who are controllers no um Figure out what no, he's Parker, doing. No, Parker, he doesn't get shot in the head, I don't think. He does. Uh, Get back up to the pool area. Andalites, the second guard screamed into a walkie-talkie. Then he drew his gun. Blam, blam. They told me later there was a third shot, but I didn't oh, okay. hear it. A sledgehammer blow struck the side of my head. A ricochet. Like, granted, he doesn't get, like, point yeah. blank. He, like, you know, he receives a bullet from, like, the wall or something oh, like that. This is but like... this kid just got shot in the head. Yeah, this is where I stopped reading. That's really... Jeez. My goodness. He just took a bullet for Earth. <laughs> you <laughs> he know? took a bullet for committing war crimes. I We will have to agree to disagree about this, uh, or we'll have to uh, agree to come back to it at a later time. But yeah, he takes a ricochet to the head and falls face first into a Pooliarchs. That's what you get, Jake. And when he surfaces, he is a control. That's what you get, Jake. Specifically, he's being controlled by Temrash 114, potentially the Yerk with the worst... Impulse control of any Yurk in the history of all Yurk. <laughs> Temrash114, who used to be the Yurk that was in Tom's head, is not good. Almost all of a sudden at being a Yurk who is controlling a person who's a high value target. Like, I don't... Maybe that's why he got switched out. Maybe, that, maybe that's why Temrash114 got switched out for another Yurk when... Tom was putting together this whole plan and was getting closer and closer and closer to Visser 3. But Tamrash 114 doesn't seem to have what it takes for a Yerk to lay low <laughs> in a high-risk, high-surveillance situation. And it kills him eventually. Mm-hmm. But we get some real... This, this to me, more so than the body horror of morphing, this is the moment where the horror of these extra-human experiences really, really, really comes into play for me because way more horrifying than, like, my whole body changing shape and, like, disintegrating and, like, reintegrating into itself is the idea of just, like, being piloted around by another being that I have no control over. But, I mean, we we do have to take into account that nowadays what Jake is experiencing is very unusual because Yerks, by and large, don't take hosts that did not consent nowadays. So, I mean, this is absolutely horrifying, and I'm not in any way condoning it, but I feel like acting like this is the only way for Yerks to work can just give people, like, a really that's true. unfair impression. I mean, that's true. After the Dax Accords were passed, most Yerk person interaction was, you know, consensual, and their, like, contracts were drawn up and stuff like that, so... But this is how things were done during this time, mm-hmm. during this colonization push. Like, I agree, I would agree. I would not say that this account is reflective of Yerk partnership slash Yerk parasitism as it exists now, but, yeah, it's terrifying. The way it is here, where, again, the Yerks are an oppressive, conquering force, the way that that manifests here, yeah. Awful. Horrifying. The scariest thing. But he can't hold it together long enough to prevent from revealing Temrash114's identity to Axe. And basically blows his own cover. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, good on Axe for, like, actually being perceptive about human facial expressions for once in his life. Yeah, right on! I was thinking that as well. Like, I, I'm looking at the text right now, and he, he's like, he specifically questions everybody else about the human expression that Jake just made. And like, I'm like, wow, that's like, I, I think it kind of speaks to Axe. Axe's suspicion and hatred of the Yerks because like he saw Jake's head was in the pool just a little while and then that was it. Yeah. The rest of the book is essentially the Animorphs and Axe putting together a plan to restrain Jake's body with Temrash 114 in it. Uh, oh, can drown a starvation. 
So I was I was confused because again I don't know much about how your physiology works. Prior to this book, I thought the Cadrona rays were like something that the Yerk pools had like in them, or like that Yerk pools were like a filtering mechanism that exposed Cadrona rays. But in this book, it specifically mentioned that like a Cadrona is like a, a thing, like you can have a Cadrona. It's like a machine. Yeah, I think Cadrona is the name of the sun on the Yerk home planet, and so. They're kind of speaking colloquially. That kind of turned my understanding of how that worked on its head, and I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I don't quite as much get it anymore. But regardless, yeah, they proceed to starve Temrash 114 to the point of death. Yeah, that's it's just like take a moment to recognize that, because that's pretty scary. They just killed someone. Very slowly. <laughs> Again, I don't think we could have them culpable here. This is an yeah, invasion of the personhood of a, you know, of like a human being by a conquering mm-hmm. force. Like, I feel like this was warranted. And I think this is also maybe some of the best strategic torture. Yep. And I think it's warranted. I don't think torture is ever warranted. It's not. It's not torture necessarily. It is. uh, I mean, it is, but. They don't have any other option in this situation. Improvised brain surgery. Mm, (laughs) Well... They do improvised brain surgery later. Yes. Oh my God. That I have no idea what you all are talking about. It's like a two ahead of ourselves. It's that sounds gruesome. Yeah. It's these. Wow. I I am both nostalgic and scared at the same time. Do we have a Marco's Masculinity Corner? Uh, I don't think we really need a Marco's Masculinity Corner too much this book. I actually do have a small Marco's Masculinity Corner. Okay. Earlier on. In the, the basketball chapter is chapter 11? Yeah, there's... A- yes, I called that. Um, yeah. Marco consciously drops his sort of goofs in front of Jake as a display of trust. It's a small moment. I'm trying to find exactly which... Marco's making jokes about this politician having hemorrhoids. Marco's <laughs> like, uh, tomorrow's Saturday. Should we do it then? Or I guess the expression on my face showed how I felt. Marco cocked his head and looked sideways at me. You okay, man? You had a close call last night. I've been there, so I know it isn't easy to just get past it. No, I'm cool, I said. Jake's masculinity corner all of a sudden. I gave him a push. Besides, since when are you all psyched to go? Marco had always been the most reluctant member of the group. You know since when, he said softly. I nodded. Marco was no longer reluctant to fight the Yerks. It had become a very personal battle for him. Yeah, sorry. As far as the others are concerned, I'm still the same old Marco, he said. I don't want them thinking anything is different. I don't want them feeling sorry for me. Now, Marco, how is anyone ever going to feel sorry for you? You're so totally obnoxious. And I plan to stay that way. That is as close to an admission (laughs) of the, like, I use my humor as a shield that we're going to get. It's a small moment, but it's, like, it's important. Yeah, there's a lot of love between these two characters. There's a lot of love between these two characters. They care about each other so much. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess the last note that I have is that this one is a pretty straightforward win for the Animorphs. If you call war crimes a win. Yeah, after all the horrifying stuff. (laughs) They disrupt a pretty significant consent-destroying plant? By committing war crimes. It's a plant, it is a factory that engineers consent being violated. I would call that a win. They still committed war crimes. Yes, war crimes or not, I think that this indicates a pretty significant turning point in sort of the the greater plot because from here on out we see operations like these being committed to pretty regularly the animorphs work to disrupt a lot of the like major things that the the yurks are trying to um articulate in this state at least i think there are points when they actually leave the state and go Mm -hmm. to different parts of the country but That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, this is like the beginning of their real guerrilla tactics. Yeah, to my, sorry, very limited understanding of the way the guerrilla warfare works, they are really sort of leaning into it and they are sort of becoming comfortable in that. Not only that, they work together to de-yerk someone. I think the power of their found family is really what brings them through here and is what allows their dedication to translate into meaningful action. I felt pretty good about where they were at the end of this thing. That's what I've got for volume six. Do we want to discuss 
the horror of Jake being controlled anymore. Because there is still a decent chunk of the book left that we didn't talk about. It's real bad. Um, I don't know what else I've got specifically other than it's real bad and I hated to read it. Yeah, I have nothing to say specifically. Just I'm skimming through it now and I do really re- admire the Animorphs strategic or technical, tactical, I still can't remember the difference, thinking in terms of they really have it all figured out how to contain Tamrash. Mm-hmm. And they also have their plan really well figured out to like trick Tamrash and trying to escape so that they, you know, kind of know that that's what's going to happen and they can control that situation because they've baited Tamrash into that situation. Mm-hmm. And that they have axe covering for Jake. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I feel like they should have just had the other kids rotate through covering for Jake as much as possible. And then, like, I think they all should have acquired Jake and all impersonated him. Tom cocked an eyebrow at me. What, now you're going to pretend it didn't happen? Last night you sat here and ate six pieces of chicken and kept yapping about how great it was. Then you ate a pie. A pie which was supposed to be for the four of us. (laughs) (laughs) We've all had those days. We've all had those days. Those weekends, really. I have eaten eight Twix bars in the past, like, 12 hours. Oh my god, I think my soul just threw up a little bit. Hell yeah. I support you. That's too many Twix bars. I haven't had chocolate in weeks, and my okay, body was just like, yeah, that's, a, that's awful. God, we gotta get you some chocolate. I love chocolate. That's okay. I, I have eaten more than enough for the next few weeks. <laughs> so yeah, I feel pretty good about where they uh, where they end this thing out, and I'm... Oh, I mean, J- Jake has undergone a, a traumatic experience, the likes of which I hope none of the others have to deal with ever, but that's an additional measure of the burden that has been placed upon him as an animorph. Just wait until you find out what happens with Tobias. Oh, oh my god, so excited. I think it's pretty messed up that Jake has to literally experience death, essentially. Yeah, again. Um, yeah. Also, we finally hear about the Jeds for the first time. Oh, so we do. Which we had mentioned those earlier on, so this is the first appearance. The who now? The original host bodies that the Yerks used on their home planet. Oh, yeah, those guys. The three-fingered, sort of Neanderthal-like bipeds. Um, I guess that's my hint to remember those later, huh? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, there's a lot of different alien races that all become relevant in their own ways. Many of whom we know today. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know that we have differing opinions here, and I will freely admit that Tamrash is very obnoxious and not a stellar exemplar of Yerkdom or anything. But I do think I found it genuinely, no matter how awful he is, I found it genuinely tragic and heartbreaking seeing his memories through Jake's eyes and seeing like kind of his you know life pass before his eyes as he dies how I mean I can't relate to that at all yeah I've never died that I know of I assume I would know I can't (laughs) imagine why I wouldn't know that I had died I guess if I had died temporarily under anesthesia I might not know but um, I've never been under general anesthesia, so that hasn't happened. Yeah, me neither. Uh, next time we are reading uh, Volume 7, The Stranger. Yeah, moving on from that topic, The Stranger is up next. <laughs> Excited to read that one. Oh, wait, I did find something. I did find something I want to say. Okay. Right at the very end of the journal, um, there's a really interesting parallel here between Jake and Rachel. Um, and their efforts to leave anonymous messages telling people not to give up and that things will get better. Oh, yeah. Um, Jake and Rachel and their Mm. two-man It Gets Better campaign, (laughs) um, where Jake anonymously called... Well, anonymously. He uses Cassie's dad's cell phone, which could probably be tracked. He should have used a payphone. Yeah, use a payphone, guy. Back then. Just use a payphone. Ugh. But he calls Tom and tells Tom, don't give up. Yeah. In like a weird fake That is really intense. Yeah. Because he now knows. I mean, it's kind of how. He he now knows. Yeah, what that experience is like. From being controlled that Tom can hear everything. So he knows that Tom is hearing the message. Although obviously the Yerk is also hearing the message and probably whatever Yerk is now in Tom's brain, I do think they say earlier, now has a lot of questions about how someone knows about Tom. So who Mm. knows? That, again, like I was saying with Rachel, this really 
is not as smart of an idea as either one of them thinks it is. Yeah, it seems really risky. Yeah. Jake doing this is like the same feeling that someone might have when they're trying to speak to a loved one in a coma. I feel like that's a good sort of comparison for it for someone who like maybe might not go through such an intense cosmic version of this. Yeah. Although, you know, according to um, the YERC neurosurgeons of today, some people in comas really can hear everything. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so Tom can hear him. So it is a lot like speaking to a loved one in a coma who is in the type of coma where they can hear you again like in as much as you should have found a payphone kid a pretty uh, a pretty swell thing to do for someone that you really do care about yeah at least in theory he should have found a payphone should have found a payphone though kid Alrighty, let's say goodbye i'm looking forward to speaking with all y'all next week yeah until then stay, stay safe everyone stay safe yeah. bye, bye. Thanks to Noelle Micarelli for the use of their songs Comic Book Girl off the EP Field Notes from Another Place and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of Noelle's music at noellemicarelli.bandcamp.com. The Morph Report is hosted by Marina Malucci, Hamlet Cooper, and Bly. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Potomorphs, tweet at us or send us an email and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Barker? Oh crap, the soup. <laughs>